go to a dream I had many years ago where I saw a whole group of women, all robes around their, their belly, their arms, pulling something from earth. And it was all group of women. It wasn't one hero. It was all pulling something from earth. And at one point, something, a huge status statue got like erected out of earth into standing. And it was the feminine mother. Like, you know, and so I, I, I don't know why I want to say that. And maybe I say that because it's like, there's not one of us. There's all of us part of this, all of us part of defining this moment and part of bringing her up. Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hello and happy new year to all of the time of the feminine community. This is Shayna here, just wishing you the most beautiful, abundant, joyful turf as we walk into this fresh place for a new year. Even though technically I feel that the new year starts when spring does, or if you're in the Southern hemisphere, I guess it can be a new year for you. It's nice and sunny and bright. So anyways, this year for me is all about health and really feeling healthy and full of vitality from the inside out. And because this podcast is so in line with everything that Lauren and I do and what we believe the time of the feminine is really here for, we've partnered with an organization that feels the same way. And the woman, Marcella, who who started this company was on our podcast a few weeks ago, and she's been with the Global Sisterhood since the very, very, very beginning. And so it feels like a perfect alignment to share this new offering that she has. And it is specifically formulated blends for women to complement our self-healing powers, but they support PMS and menopause relief, hormone and mood support, and urinary tract health. So ladies, this is something that we don't often talk about in public because it can often be embarrassing, whether it's having low libido or constantly dealing with UTIs or having these really painful menstrual cramps that I have myself. These formulas are here to help. And so they have specifically blended formulas of beautiful herbs and also high quality CBD that works to enhance the healing properties that you have within you because our bodies are inherently good and they want our best and most vital selves to be present. And so this brand works with that. And so they're offering something very special for our community. And that is if you check them out at goddesswell.co and end up purchasing one of their products, 
that you can get another product for free. So if you buy one product, you get another product free by using the code SISTER. And the intention is that you buy another product and you give it to your friend. So I just wanted to share this with you because Goddess Well has really supported us in this time. They're our official podcast sponsor for the Time of the Feminine. And I just believe it's so important for us to take care of our reproductive health, you know, our our beautiful bodies that have done so much for us. And for those of us that are still in our days of going through our cycles, you know, this is so much of our life that we deal with this. So why not make it, you know, the beautiful time it's supposed to be? And so go ahead and check out their products. I promise you from using them myself, you will not be disappointed. And so this podcast episode today is super, super, super special. We have a Zainab Salib. So I will not talk anymore and I'll get to it because this is this is one of my favorite podcast episodes and I'm so happy this is how we're starting the year. So wishing all the best sister, goddesswell.co, check them out and we'll talk to you soon. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine. I am humbled and honored to have a beautiful human being in my presence by the name of Zainab Salbi. Zainab has done many incredible things in her life, but she has been named one of the women changing the world by leading publications, ranging from Newsweek to The Guardian. Oprah Winfrey identified her as one of the women changing the world to People magazine, and President Bill Clinton identified her as the 21st century heroes to Harper's Bazaar. Most recently, Foreign Policy magazine named her as one of the 100 leading global thinkers and Wadkin Magazine identified her as one of the top 100 most spiritually influential people. At the age of 23, Zainab founded Women for Women International, a humanitarian organization dedicated to women survivors of war. Under her leadership, which was from 1993 to 2011, Women for Women International grew from helping 30 women upon its inception to helping more than 420,000 women and distributing more than $100 million in aid. She is the author of several books, including the bestseller Between Two Worlds, Escape from Tyranny, Growing Up in the Shadow of Saddam, The Other Side of the War, Woman's Story of Survival Hope, If You Knew Me, You Would Care, and her latest, Freedom is an Inside Job, Owning Our Darkness and Our Light to Change Ourselves in the World. You, I can't wait to talk about that too. <laughs> <laughs> in early 2002, along with Jody Allen, Zainab co-founded Daughters of Earth, a new fund and campaign that aims to inspire all women to engage in climate change action by mobilizing $100 million for on-the-ground women-led efforts to protect and restore the earth. It is such an honor to have you here. I'm so proud of you <laughs> and happy of the work that you've been able to do for all of us. Thank oh, you. thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear of the work that you are doing. It's like right on, right? Exactly what we need. And it's so timely. It is the time, as a matter of fact. So I'm so, so happy to be connected to you today. Yeah, it's it really feels like a magical moment for me. I find so much inspiration in doing this work and getting to have these conversations because I feel like what you are is an expander for me. Like you expand my vision of what's possible. And I'm like, she did it. I could do it. We can do it. 
But of course we can. I mean, I believe in making the impossible possible, really. If we didn't believe in that, there wouldn't be right now the first of its time in history, a women-led revolution taking place in Iran. If they didn't believe in making the impossible possible, I mean, we would not, none of us have, would have done, you would not have done the women's circles. I would not have created Women for International or mm-hmm. Daughters for Earth, but you know, of course we can. And how did you get there? Because I feel like in working with so many women, one of the greatest misbeliefs is that I'm not worthy. I can't do it. Like there's this feeling of lack somehow. And so how did you get to the point within yourself where you're like, no, we can make the impossible possible? You know, we all have our insecurities, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, mine was not on that. (laughs) It just happened to be not on that. It it was my insecurities related to my beauty and all of that, but not on my fierceness and believing that, right? So that's, you know, so yes, I am fierce, but I don't want to dismiss the insecurity in here. Mm-hmm. The second part is I grew up in a dictatorship and in a in a country of fear. I mean, we feared expressing our opinion. We fear telling a joke in case it's a wrong joke because you could go to prison for it. And despite all of that, my mother would make me read as a teenager all these books about women liberations in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, but also worldwide. She made me read also about liberation movements, about slavery uh, in America and all of these things, all in Arabic. And so it's almost like lighting a candle in the middle of the darkness that I was living in, you know, that making sure that I'm aware of women's oppression and oppression of other people. And when I was 16 and told her, Mama, I want, when I grow up, I want to help all women, she didn't laugh at me and said, honey, we live in a dictatorship. We're scared of our shadow. She looked at me and she said, yes, we can. You can, honey, you will do it. And so a few years later, I came to America in the most, you know, unforeseen circumstances, really it's unfortunate circumstances, as in I came in an arranged marriage, which it didn't mean it's a forced marriage. It just meant my mom did arrange it and begged me to accept. And I did accept to, to make her stop crying. But when I came to America, the marriage ended up horrible and I left the guy within three months. However, and I ended up being stuck in America because now um, America was in a war with Iraq. However, I experienced in America something that I've never experienced before. Freedom. Freedom. And, you know, this country has all kinds of horrible things, you know, have happened in it, still happening in it. This is not to dismiss that history, which is awful. This is to speak about the present and a good thing about this country, which is a freedom of expression. And that for me is delicious. It is like chocolate, eating it for the first time. Um, And I've been here for 32 years. I've been living in America more than I lived in my home country, Iraq, where I lived there for 19 years, right? But it's still that freedom of expression. I feel it's a gift that I am not to take it for granted. And whilst before I could see injustice but can't do anything about it because I was afraid for my family's life, now I have the responsibility as a human being, now that I live in a country that allows me to express myself, to do something about injustice. So for I and I really believe that for when we avoid injustice, whether, whether when we avoid hearing about it or speaking about it or doing something about it, we 
invariably legitimize it and allow for the corruption of our own values because we each think that we are good people. You know, but when we avoid doing something about injustice, we are corrupting ourselves, right? Because we're not in alignment with our values. And so for me, it, it didn't come from like, honestly, a confidence or anything like, I mean, yes, of course, we all have our good and bad and all of that. But it came from, I felt a responsibility as a human being to do something when you see something wrong. And before it was woman in water, it continues to be. Now it's climb, you know, earth, as you mentioned earlier. So it's that fierceness that almost like it's my responsibility. How dare I not do it? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how could I not? You know, that's where it came from. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I've been in a study of responsibility because a few years ago, someone said to me that you can find the greatest joy through responsibility. And I've been thinking about myself a lot. And yes, I have responsibility. And in some ways inside of myself, I feel like a teenage girl that like has a role to play. And it's like, I don't want to do what my parents do. Like it's so embarrassing. And I'm scared. I think I'm scared of this next stage of responsibility that I am to be given, I guess. And so I really... I really appreciate a lot about you talking about responsibility because I think as a culture, we are not taught about responsibility. It has not been modeled as a way of being. Like as you're talking about alignment and turning away from injustice, that's what everybody does. That's what I grew up seeing. And I felt that that was out of alignment for me. Mm. Mm. But it's not something that's common. (laughs) Well, it's irrelevant if it's common or not. Right. Really. It's, it's irrelevant. What's relevant is how we feel inside. You know, that's the most relevant thing. I, you know, often friends give me advice. Don't do that. Don't do that. Especially when it comes to romance and relationships and things like that. Right. Like, don't do that. And I like listen to their advice, but they're not in alignment to who I am. It has nothing to do with whether this is common, not common, whatever, is I go back to, is this in alignment with who am I? Am I living in my truth? Am I acting my truth? If it is, then I'm going to do it. I love my friends, but no, I'm not going to listen to these voices. You know, I'm going to listen to my voice because ultimately I have to be in, in the joy that you are describing. So what is that joy? is because I'm in living in like, I, everyone feels it, right? When we're not living in alignment, you just feel that ickiness. Even at the peak of your success, if you're not in alignment, you feel that ickiness. And if you're in alignment, it's just a clarity. Just, a you know, just clear. It's the flow. So it is about, not about what anybody, forget everyone else, <laughs> right? It's really about, am I, being in alignment to my truth? Am I speaking my truth? Am I living my truth? Am I being my truth? But here's the thing. And when you are, it's not necessarily an easy journey, right? You know, so it's like a lot of people say, wow, these are all very nice words. To live in truth, to be in alignment is not necessarily easy. Sometimes it's an odd duck in the middle of a society, right? Everyone is like going there and you're like going here, right? Sometimes it is lonely. 
Sometimes it is financially hard. Sometimes it is a lot of emotional pressure. You know, it's, it's not always easy, but it is, I don't know how to say, it. How to say it. it is like, you know, if I die today, I die saying, God, I tried everything. Like I gave you my best, you know? So it is about me and my intimate relationship with my heart. And here's the thing, responsibility and the cause we are working on, whatever it is, be it having a child or creating a major company or organization, right? Whatever it is, the cause does not require us to self-sacrifice. It does not. The responsibility does not require us to self-sacrifice. So what does that mean? Because I just said it's hard journey, right? It is, has an ups and downs and all of that. But as long as we're also being centered to ourselves. I mean, there's a, there's a difference between self-sacrificing and between going through a hard time. But there's a difference, right? Because, you know, this, I find it very interesting. The, the, the facade of the American promise or maybe the capitalist promise of happiness or commercial. There is no such a thing as a, a, a continuous state of happiness. It just doesn't exist. There's contentment. You know, happiness goes back and forth as a zigzag, right? Because life by definition has all the emotions, the sadness and the happiness, the joy and the sorrow, the tears and the laughter, everything. That's life. So that's, it's about how do we reach contentment where we can handle or being centered in ourselves. And to be centered, I need to do what I need to do to make sure that I am okay, that I need to do, that I'm doing all the things that I'm grounded. That's when I say it does not require to self-sacrifice. If you're off center, then recenter yourself, right? Because don't sacrifice your being, your center, because that's what will help you endure the sorrow and the shame and the hardship and the doubt and all of that. And that's what will help you to carry the happy moment and the joyous moment and the laughter and the dancing moment in a way that appreciate it, not addicted to it, but like appreciate it, know it's always here and go back and, and trust that you can go back to it whenever possible. I hope I'm making sense in all what I just said. Complete and perfect sense. It feels like embodied wisdom. Thank you. Sometimes when I feel like, I don't know, I hope I'm making sense, you know. But so while do not sacrifice yourself, understand, you know, and do what you need to do to take care of yourself, understand that responsibility also entails the zigzagging. And I just want to share with you a few stories because I'm a woman who lead with my cause, right? I am a believer. I'm, I'm a believer. I really am. And I shall die trying to bring good into the world. That is my purpose, you know? And I am lucky to know that is my purpose because not everyone knows their purpose very easily, right? So to know it, I am blessed to know. And for the longest time, I sacrificed my well-being. I, I measured myself by the accomplishment, the external accomplishment, how many women helped, how many shows done, how many impact, how many viewers, how many this, how many. And three years ago, I almost died. It was just before COVID. I was rushing to the operating room and then into the ICU. And I found myself in a moment grabbing for, grab, grasping from my last breath. 
And in that intimate moment between myself and my heart, I wasn't asking, did I accomplish enough? Was I in alignment or not? I was asking, the first word that came to mind was kindness. And the first question that came to mind, did I live my life in kindness to myself and to others? Did I live my life in love to myself and to others? And before I was, until that question, the truth is, I had charged, even as a feminist, even as a women's rights advocate, and as a humanitarian, I have charged the masculine way, the masculine way, you know, uh, charging forward, not thinking about what do I need to be taken care of, not thinking about my own center, my own uh, well-being, just charging, 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 charging. And, you know, and even with the vanity part, it's just charging forward, right? And what in that moment when life and death became like this, this, they were like merging into one. The question was kindness. And did I live my life in kindness to myself? Not only to others. I have lived it to others, but to myself. And the others does not mean the larger others. It does not mean helping women in Ukraine right now. The others means the one who that is in front of you right now, today. You know, people in your surroundings, the people who are easily you snap at them, you know. And then, of course, most importantly, have I lived my life in kindness to myself? And that's the harder questions, you know, is how do we actually, because once we're anchored in kindness and in love to ourselves, and I came to learn that the hard way, kindness and love to the others become a much easier flow, much easier flow. Uh, to give and to be in alignment and in responsibility with. Thank you for sharing that. I know from the journey at Global Sisterhood that not turning to self-sacrifice is really challenging. You're really living on the edge of discovering a new way of being for yourself when you're when you're playing with that edge, because it is so easy to self-sacrifice. Our society teaches us that we should and that that's valued. But then when you're doing it yourself, it feels terrible. (laughs) It feels awful. And it doesn't matter how much you're doing. There's just, there's just not enough energy to restore. So true. So I want to I want to talk about your journey and and go back. I want you to take us back to to maybe who you were um when you started for Women for Women International and maybe you can give us an explanation of I don't, I don't even know like when you started it what the mission was and what you were intending to do and then how it kind of changed but I'd love for you to take us on that journey of you know who you were then and what your vision was and then what happened and and where where this work has gotten to now i was a 23 years old woman immigrant from iraq um newlywed to my second husband because the first was a jerk <laughs> and a three months old marriage and the second was a wonderful man and heard for the first time of a war that is outside of my own country. I've always like just, you know, I grew up in war. So I've never realized that there are other wars, you know, out there. And it didn't matter for me 
who are these people? You know, like which other country? I didn't know Bosnia and Herzegovina at the time, former Yugoslavia. I didn't know anything about them, but I was also studying about the Holocaust and taking a class. And it's in that same month that I learned for the first time in my life, I grew up with a different educational system about the Holocaust. I, there was a front page in Time magazine of concentration camps in Bosnia. And for me, it was more like, they said never again, but it is happening again right now. Like we, we've got to do something about it. Very common, you know, like it wasn't sophisticated uh, thinking. It was just very common, basic thinking, right? And I started demonstrating first to get attention to the Bosnians. And eventually after a few demonstrations, honestly, I was like, this whole demonstration thinks I'm not sure what we're doing. These people are like hungry right now. They're women rapes, they're rape camps, concentration camps. Yes, our demonstrations are helping. I mean, good for us. Well, maybe put some political pressure, but we've got to do something practical. And that came the emergence of Women for Women International. I was newlywed right now at that time. All my friends laughed at me. They're like, what are you talking about? Go and buy a house and get a car and, you know, have a baby. And well, not, I didn't mention the baby, but like build your life basically, you know? And I was like fierce, like fierce. Like we've got to do, there are women who are in rape camps as we speak, you know? And at that time, actually, frankly, right now, there are women who are getting gang raped in Ukraine as well, as well as in DR Congo and many other countries. So that story has not changed, unfortunately. And it, but it's a story that ignited the founding of Women for Women International. At the beginning, it was Women for Women in Bosnia and eventually became Women for Women in Bosnia International. And I just came from Bosnia, actually celebrating the 30th or preparing for the celebration of the 30th anniversary of the organization, unbelievable. And met some of the first women that I met, a piano teacher who helped me distribute money and letters to women in, you know, as she risked her life going through sniper alleys and she turned her home into like a this mobilizing of center for women from international where women come to receive their money and their letters and care packages. You know, I met this woman from a village that they had just been displaced and, you know, lost everything. And she said when she first met me, she was hungry. And this is a month ago, you know, and, and she had just like offered a huge feast right now a food that she grew in her garden and processed in her mini factory to make jams and juices and all kinds of things, you know? So it just truly was an unbelievable experience. So with Women for Tisha, I started from a very practical thinking. I'm still a practical person. I always say love and support, but make it grounded, you know? <laughs> you can't just say, I love you. You just like have to make it grounded in actions. So Women for Women International was always based on going to women in war zones, you know, first of all, tell them, I hear you, I see you, and I'm not leaving you. And that's the letter writing. So we ask every woman to um, connect with a sister in, in a war, uh, in a conflict area, and send her and exchange letters between the two women. And for the woman in whatever country to send her $30 a month, basically. So that's how the beginning, it was $20 a month at the time, the price of a movie and a theater now, <laughs> the price of a popcorn right now, you know. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, that was very simple. I didn't have money. 
I wanted to create a program where it enabled many women like me who didn't have money, but wanted to do something to do something. And it started with helping 33 women in September, 1993. And now as I speak with you, we have helped more than half a million women, distributed more than $150 million in aids and loans, mobilized another half a million women from all over the world to, to reach out to each other in a sisterhood and in unity. So that makes me believe like, and I, like, I didn't think about growing the organization and making it bigger. I just went, you know, and it, the money was not enough. So I believe that we need to share with women education about their economic, political and human rights and women's rights. So combined, the theory was, you know, education and awareness about your rights, plus access to resources, vocational skills, business skills, and cash that together they can lead to lasting change in women's lives. That education is not enough. That money is not enough. That awareness is not enough. It's a combination of all of them that can lead a woman move from being victim to survivor to a thriving citizen. So that's the journey of Women for Women. I left it after 20 years of building it to 700 staff members, eight countries. And I grew up in a dictatorship, so I believe in rotating leadership. I believe that I cannot just criticize leaders who are holding on forever if I do not exercise the letting go myself. So I had vouched from founding Women from International that when it's, turn, when it's 20 years old, I shall leave it. And to the month when it was 20 years old, I uh, walked out first as a CEO and then as a board member. And it has been since run by a new leader, Lori Adams, who has carried it forward. Uh, love her and support her. And, and my job for her is to hold the space for her to carry the organization and move it forward as she believes is necessary. And But it's continuing right now. It works in 24 organization. I advise uh, the organization whenever they need me. It's continuing and I'm very proud. I'm as proud of founding it as I am of running it as I am of leaving it, uh, because all these three acts are important. Wow, there's so much there that I, I'm so moved, really, by everything that you shared and by the work that you did. And I have so many questions around it because I'm learning a lot about vision, you know, and I think this is something that a lot of women uh, are experiencing in our community is they have a vision for something. But what I'm starting to realize is visions are always changing. And so like your starting of Women for Women International, Bosnia, then had to change to this more global vision, then had to change to an organization that was continuing to grow, that was reaching many more people, that was employing many more people. Your role was becoming much bigger. You know, you were taking in donor money or whatever you were doing, but like everything continually changed. And so I'm curious about your process in that and how you were able to hold the vision at different places and maybe um, what you learned from that? I think that's a very, very important question. And, you know, I really, I mean, it's so interesting because I, we live in a world where there's so much focus on matrix and statistics and data and all of that. And these are all important. You know, these points of information are very important but they do not hold the soul of the mission or the vision. They do not, they are not the reason 
for growth or prosperity or thriving for any mission or vision. They are point of information. And I'm, I start with this answer is because I believe, you know, and that this, you know, um, you've got to stay in integrity to the soul of the mission or the vision, whatever. And once you tilt back and you make it all about data, facts, figures, you lose, you lose, you, you may not lose completely, but you don't, you lose the, the belief, the trust. You know, I remember BCG did a study of women for women international and they were shocked that we have like 93% renewal rate of our supporters, right? Uh, which is tremendously high. But they had also huge complaints about customer service and the logistics and the emails and all of these things. And so the organization tilted to like, oh my God, we need to like fix all of that. And it became all about the facts and the numbers, number. And when it tilted in that, it also lost, it lost the, num- the 93%. It dropped significantly because it became all mind and no heart. And then, you know, of course it adjusted itself and, you know, understood that it needs to be balanced. And so for me, you know, that's what I honestly, what I call, you know, the feminine leadership is, it's uh, one of them is to put as much importance to the actual mind, you know, facts as much as to the heart's knowledge for the heart has wisdom and the heart has knowledge and heart has a intelligence. And if we are running our organizations or companies or lives only on the mind, listen, it's, it's not, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It does, but it's broken. It's disconnected. You know, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the leaders. It's not sustainable for the people around it. Right. And it went and the flow. Is it entails trust. It entails intuition. It entails genuine value of the integrity and the dignity of the people you are working for. You know, you know, the, the very people you're working for. Um, I don't mean employees or employers. I'm talking about the, the customers, the, the beneficiaries, the participants, however people define them, right? That if, unless we have that balance. So. You know, when, when people ask me, what's your best advice to your younger self? I actually like my younger self. My younger self was this fierce woman who did not put doubt in her head. He, she just went. I had no work experience. I did not know how to raise money or how to have a budget. I got a C in my communication class in my undergraduate degree, right? I then, you know, had to learn. And now I give keynote speech. I just gave the commencement speech at the graduation, right? I give one keynote after the other. I know how to, I still don't like doing budgets, but I know how to do budgets, you know, and like run management and staff and raise money, all of that. My younger self did not doubt her ability to grow and to do it. She just learned on the spot. It is my most successful self that I have advice for. Because you get to a stage where you are, you know, this this mega organization is all around you. Oh my God, I just did that and I don't know how to do it. And that's when advisors and consultants and everyone came and wear the suits, 
sit on the top of the table, not on the side of the table, you know, on the, you know, like the lead the table, do this. You need facts, you need data, you need, and you're, you know, that's the, that's the mid career. Well, it's like, I don't know how to do that. And these people know how to do that, you know, and they surround you when you're successful. They surround you when you're successful. They, not everyone surrounds you when in the beginning, right? But at the peak, you're appealing, right? And then I doubted myself. And that's the, my, that my biggest mistakes is that when I didn't listen to my intuition, I was like, this is wrong and I'm not going to. And I doubted my intuition or I succumbed to it. I just like, okay, fine. Maybe they know better. They have more experience. And all the times I, I regret everything that I listened to these experts, everything. I, I'm not joking. You know, the experts that were giving me advice that were heartless, they were only facts and figures and they were heartless. And they, when I did not, when I knew that I did not feel their own connection to their own hearts and followed it nevertheless, followed their advice nevertheless, because I thought they have tools I don't know. Right. And I dismissed my own intuition. That was mistake. And years later, the organization had to to correct that these mistakes in order to go back to the essence of going back to the heart. What because what started it is the heart. Vision starts from the heart, from our imagination. The world we live in is a product of our imagination. So might as well reclaim our imagination and not dump it with, you know, things that are not about the imagination. And again, I I want to make sure I'm not dismissing the numbers and the facts and the figures. I'm just making them equally important to the intuition and the heart and the dignity and the integrity and the culture of any entity. Equally important. It's like when I first went and worked in the field, I was like, you know, there was an arrogance, right? You know, I like this uh, college educated women who were like here to help all raped women. And Every time I went about with this clarity, I am here to do this. The women themselves, you know, almost like tapped me on the, on their hands. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is not how we do it. You know, so one, I was like, this is only for raped women. And the raped woman said, absolutely not. You're not going to create an organization. We're going to have lineup of all the women who are raped and every woman, everyone will know we're raped. You know, and examples after examples after examples like that. And I came to the conclusion that not, we value knowledge that I graduated from this university and that university and I read this book and knowledge is as equally valuable. I mean, this knowledge is important, but equally is the knowledge of the people who come from the lived experiences, you know, in whatever communities or countries or cultures that we're working with. Equally important. Neither superior than the other is, is meeting somewhere in between and appreciating both and respecting both where solutions really come together. What a juicy answer. I'm learning that myself with the, the knowledge, right? I'm working with uh, an indigenous ty- tribe down in Brazil and it's been quite the humbling experience, but so rich, so rich and feeling at moments like wow, I don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. And I have all these skills like, you know, from the Western world and I can like make a website and, you know, do things online. And I was like, really, Hmm. it's interesting. Like there's so many 
it's just interesting that intersection, like you're talking about, right? From the lived experience and uh, that feeling of like, oh, I'm coming here to help someone when really they're helping me. We're both helping each other, right? They they help they help us and we help them. Mm-hmm. But putting but make sure that we know that, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. make sure that we know we're both. This is a flow. Yeah, this is a flow for both of us. Yeah, and when you were speaking about the you know, the mind and not enough heart. It was reminded me of one of our teachers, this woman who's been on the podcast, Yaya Louisa Tish. And she's like, if you walk into a place and you feel power and you don't feel love, walk out. And Mm. that so reminds me of, you know, this, this power structure we've created, this hierarchy. Oh, BCG told you that now all of a sudden you have to do all these things in this way, because that's going to make you successful. But really, the women loved everything you were creating for what it was, for what it was. Yes. With, with the flaws, with the things. They asked improvement <laughs> for these things, you know, like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This has happened with Global Sisterhood, too. They're like, well, what about the old version? We're like, well, this one's nicer. It has these things. And they're like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. We like that old one. And so it's, it's a, it, that, that is a really interesting journey, I think, in being an entrepreneur in these days is, is, Learning how to trust yourself. Yes. And, and creating the mechanism to hear better, right? Okay, so let's it's talk like, about that. Like, because trust yourself, but sometimes we also could be blind to ourselves, right? You know, but I stumbled upon this knowledge by realizing I need to create a team around me. And the team, I always thought the team is like people you hire around you, right? No, 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 no. The team is your own. Anybody could be a friend, a therapist, a shaman, a nutritionist, a colleague, a physical, uh, what do you call it? The trainer. Doesn't matter what the team is. Is I always like have like these oh, best friends, right? F- team members who do not know each other. They're not in the same, you know, like three of them. I always have three team members. One is working on body, mind, and heart, let's say, right? So a colleague, a, a therapist, and a, I don't know, a physical trainer or nutrition, doesn't matter, doesn't, or best friend. And if they're telling you the same thing about yourself, even though they do not know each other, I believe them. That I, that's when I believe, right? Because it's a, for me, it's dangerous when we only surround people, ourselves with people we know and we like and we trust, because then we are now echoing each other and we just speak into each other. Um, it's, it's also, I, I go out of discipline to be in friendship with people who hold different beliefs than mine, fundamentally different beliefs than mine, because the discipline of that teaches me, you know, otherwise, I can just be surrounded with like my own bubble and not growing, right? But the discipline of being engaging with the other teaching. But I'm really talking about a team that is really people who are like, they don't know each other, but they have access to you and you're processing with them various things. And when when I hear the same feedback, sometimes even from a non-team member, you know, a grocery, someone at the grocery, the same feedback, I like, that's when I take it as like, okay, I thought it is like this. It is like this. This is important feedback. Thank you. So trust yourself. 
love yourself, connect with your heart. I mean, I have now I, one of my rules for happy day, not life, happy day, right? A content day is an appointment with my heart and an appointment with my heart. It's yes. Some others would call it meditation. I call it an appointment because it's a silent moment where I take the time to lock into my heart. It's like a ship docking into its base, right? And that's, and it's beautiful. It's silent. You know, it's just it's silent. And that space is for me when I also get knowledge. Like once I allow for the silence and once I allow for everything, clarity comes. So I'm going around and around, but create, trust yourself what I'm trying to say, but create the mechanism that you ensure that you're not lost in yourself and that you have a system that you can see outside, you know, of the things that you may need to correct, whether it is within you or outside, whether you're hearing it from within you or you're hearing it from outside of you, but make sure that you create a system that keeps you in check. Yeah, I'm learning that hearing, like learning how to hear myself. This has been actually like a focus of mine in the past year because I was noticing that when I would get quiet, I could discern so many other voices, so many other energies, so many other beliefs that did not come from me. Yeah. And I love this idea of the appointment too, like creating this structure, creating this like confined space, but it's like, it's like the masculine feminine, right? The, the, the structure then holds the, the perfume for that essence to be able to express and to clarify. And it's really beautiful. 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 Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I call it an appointment because when I skip it, sometimes <laughs> I am respecting, like I'm not taking it my heart for granted. If I had skipped your appointment today, I would have apologized to you, would have read you an email. May I reschedule all of that? There was a, there would be a respect because if I just disappeared, that's not disrespectful. Right. So an appointment with my heart, I'm having the exact same relationship with my heart. Mm. You know, it's a, you know, last week, honestly, I just was like running around and did not do it very well. And I would even, as I walk, I was like, I'm so sorry. I have not connected with you today. I'm talking to my heart out of respect for it and out of love, love for it. You know, and I think even that second one, my heart skips saying, I hear you. Right. But that we need to be in discipline to stay connected to our heart. You know, it's almost like I find it, there's my heart hands and my hand and, and every day I need to be in a discipline to check on it and hold it. Or loved ones, we send them text messages or call them every single day, right? You know, so that discipline of that connection is important. Yes, and I feel like it's only from that place that we can then serve from a place where 100%. there's not self-sacrifice and there this is what i feel is like there's nectar that comes oh delicious delicious i love <laughs> nectar that comes i love it so can you tell us now about the work that you're engaging in the climate action work daughters for earth and how that got started and where you are i watched the video today it's so powerful maybe just share about yeah, daughters for Earth. Daughters Let's go, girls. Earth. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, 
it was a journey to come to the founding of Daughters for Earth. And my personal journey is first I was asked, can you mobilize women to be engaged on climate change the way you did with Women for International? Because I was like, I don't understand climate change. I'm like, I'm trying to be like, I believe in living authentically to my values. I truly believe that. And I try hard. So I have electric car, I do composting, I recycle, I do all of these things, right? But I don't know much. I'm not a scientist, you know. So I was researching, but but it was on the margin nevertheless, because I was insecure. I was insecure about not knowing the science behind it and not having the legitimacy to speak about it, basically. Until I got sick. So I mentioned earlier, I was, I, I was hospitalized and it took the recovery process took me a year and a half. And in that year and a half, I was having a hard time breathing. I was having a hard time um, walking. And I spent a lot of times in nature, all of my time in nature. And I felt, I came out of that experience feeling nature healed me. That each tree was, as I was walking, each tree was like, you can go, you can do it, you can do it, girl. Like, you know, I felt each wave of the ocean was like giving me electric shock to my heart so I can um, breathe. And it came out of this experience with such profound gratitude to earth, profound gratitude to earth. That I was like, this is not, that I owe it to mother earth to do all I can to support it. I owe it to mother earth and that I will spend all my time, you know, doing everything possible. And, you know, the experience came also, I profound, I came out of being ill with profound joy. And could, and that came out of my connection to earth, to my heart and to the divine. That personally, that's my personal experience. And I came out saying, I will do everything possible to help support people's journey to feel the same joy I am feeling in my connection to my heart to earth and to the divine. And so with that, then it's moved from, I'm insecure, I don't know about climate change, I don't know the science, just like, okay, step aside sisters, we're gonna do this, right? And of course the facts were always there. The facts that women and children are hit severely by climate uh, change, that they are very marginalized in their voices. They are doing so much, but they are not fully incorporated in the decision-making table. They're getting two cents out of every dollar that goes to environmental justice, which is ridiculous. And that they are doing a lot, a lot on the three pillars, but particularly two pillars that are human solutions. They're not technology solutions, they are human solutions, which is to protect, simply to protect 50% of Earth's land and water and to uh, shift to regenerative agriculture. In both of these cases, women are doing significant work and yet their work is not being acknowledged and not being funded. So we're like, okay, sisters, roll up. Daughters, we call it daughters. Let's roll up our sleeves. And daughters for Earth, we're all daughters, right? We're all daughters with all our children. We bring our children uh, along with it. For Earth, A, it puts more money in the hands of us to mobilize $100 million, basically, to A, put more money in the hands of women. Uh, 
who are working on solutions and B, to raise awareness that they are, we cannot, humanity cannot solve the most important crisis facing us without the full inclusion of women. And we're doing it again. We're marginalized women again. I just don't understand. I just, I, you know, so we cannot solve it unless we fully in, incorporate women in the solution. And the third is to give the tools and the resources for every woman to understand what are the climate people talking about and what can we do? Because the truth is I'm an educated woman. I had no idea of a lot of the, you know, the expressions and the, you know, I don't know, the vocabularies and the acronyms and all of that, the climate movement is talking about. I like what, what they're talking about, right? And I'm an educated woman. And I figured I am not the only one in this position. The most uneducated woman is feeling the same way and the highest educated woman is feeling this way and the poorest woman is feeling this way and some of the richest women are feeling this way. No one is speaking to women. So we are developing toolkits, which explains it in a very basic common sense, like talk to me as a human here, right? To ex It explains in a common basic sense, this is what we need to do and give all the tips of how all the things we need to change because we learn from each other much faster than we re learn from any article or, or study, right? I changed my lifestyle completely to make it earth friendly based on my friend who inspired me. You know, every time I would go to her home, she would do composting and she had her own garden. I was like, and I got inspired. So we're um, hoping to mobilize the daughterhoods. Uh, circles where we can give all or tapping into other circles for that matter all over the world to give the tools uh, in basic sense um, where women can learn about the science, can learn about tips, can learn about each other and what the daughters are doing all over the world in a fabulous way to to protect our mother and, and what they can eat each do in their own communities, not only in their personal lives. So that's what Daughters Voice only it's less than a year that is officially launched and it's done. I'm, I'm like celebrating. I end the, the year with a bit tired, but celebration and deep gratitude that, oh my God, this is exactly the right thing and in a timely way. And ultimately, honestly, I believe that unless we make the 21st century, the feminine century, our humanity is at stake the feminine century so right now the actions for daughters for earth and i hope for everyone and trust for you for sure is not about the only doing this it's about how we do it how we lead how we cooperate how we talk is based and anchored in the feminine values and values that we have to discover from within ourselves it's not i cannot uh, be saying here are the feminine values, but each one of us discover it as we connect it to our as we connect to our hearts better and deeper every single day, and so that's where I am, you know, and that's hopefully that's my every intention that daughters for Earth is um, is anchored on feminine values as we discover it and uncover it for each other and with each other for our Earth. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm very touched by this. I'm very touched by not just what you're doing for daughters 
of earth for all of us, but also for the way that you're going to do it. That is a celebration because that's how I feel. That's how I feel inside of myself. Like, yes, Global Sisterhood is an organization, but we want to do it differently. We want to lead from the feminine. And that's so hard because I think you mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Like I was, I was raised, you know, to be like a man. And so I went to business school and then I worked in finance and then I worked in venture capital and I got to this place where I was like, I don't feel like myself. It was right when I started meditating that I had this big realization and I realized the feminine was completely absent. And since then, I've been on this journey to reclaiming my feminine and then helping other women who are somewhere along that road. The more we reclaim it in ourselves, the more we pave the path for other women and men. And men. And all the genders. And, and all, yes, the genders all the genders to, to come and find it in themselves. And yes. because we can't just for me, point the finger at men, although they've done a lot of horrible things in the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we too have embodied the mask. And, and and I love men, really. You know, it's like, I don't want to only be critical of them because I truly love them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, also my beloveds are men, you know, my brother, my father, my, you know, it's, it's you know, so it's not about, but as a gender has done a lot of damage in the world as, mu- as much as, also built us to where we are right um but as a value as masculine values these values have hit its ceiling right now and we are all part of it and it's so important i mean for me for the women's movement right now not to replicate not to embody masculine values in the way we're advocating for our rights and freedom that we do it on our own terms and we pave the path and show what does it mean to lead in a world and to be in a world what it is balanced between the feminine and the and the masculine you know so it's not enough to oppose it is not enough to do and then but we get like you know withdrawn into because you have to be in discipline to stay in the new way right when that when everyone around you is saying what you haven't done this you haven't done that you know like you you can be sucked around very easily you know to to the way everyone is doing it which is consciously or unconsciously has a lot of masculinity in it and so you have to like be in discipline in discipline to be in the feminine value and to lead with it and to and to trust that it shall thrive the first two years of woman for woman first year there was a, at one point you go to all these events and there's a new, you, you, you think that networking is important, but I had not figured out the organization yet, right? So I decided to lay low and go inward and only focus on the women and develop, uh, the program itself. And I'm going to ignore all the, the, the buzz around me in America. And it was a lot of discipline because a lot of people came, what? You did not go to that event? You did not attend that, uh, whatever, this event? You did not go to that podcast? You did, like you, so you feel that you're missing out, right? And I just remember just saying, I, I'm, I'm going to be disciplined, disciplined, disciplined to do it my way, to, to develop this and do it. And once it's time, I will go back to the world, right? It's the same thing about being in the feminine values. We have to be in a discipline, discipline, to find it our way. When it's there, we go and we go fiercely and trust and trust. And it's happening. Look, 
it's the first time in history a women-centered, women-led revolution in history taking place in Iran. You know, it and men joined them afterwards, but it's centered around women's rights. Usually revolutions are centered about the citizens' rights, which is mostly defined by men. And women are told, let's let's get our rights, and then once we get them, we'll give you your other rights, which they never do. Right? This is the first time where women are like, no, we want our rights and freedom. And men joined, said yes. We agree that women's rights and freedom, and we want also our rights and freedom. So it's, it changed the narrative. That is happening. That is, that's, that is part of the feminine century. That is all part of each one of us are part of that. So let's just expand more on, on this new age and the rise of the feminine and what's possible to happen in our time. You know, how can, as women, we come together more? How can we collaborate more? How can we we come into this new time, like of unlearning a lot, but then also of deeply listening and stepping into this next chapter that's here? I mean, there's so many ways to answer this this question. I can tell you where I am. And I am in that space of, in the principles where I am today. A, collaboration. I really am not interested in doing anything by myself anymore. Like I can, where, I don't know, maybe it's my age, maybe it's the era we live in, but only collaboration, right? Trust, because to collaborate is to trust, you know, the others who are with you. Safe spaces non-judgmental spaces, you know, safe spaces where we can truly talk about uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable emotions. So when people do something or say something that hurts you, whatever, I find it so hard to work in these days in, in the workspace because a lot of people take it from zero to a hundred in a matter of seconds. And, and that's, that's not safe. It makes workspace not safe, right? So safe spaces, which is to create the, the, you know, to have the discipline to like, let me understand rather than jump into the conclusion. And as one, my friend call it generous listening to generously listen to each other. And it's an interesting concept because it's like to really take our own voice, our own inner voice out of the, of the judgment, you know, as we speak with others and to generously listen to each other, to understand where they're coming from, why they did what they did. Is there any emotion, any connection that I can connect with? And once you find that one, you can then go from that point and create a path of dialogue. So these are some of the principles. Love, love. You know, I mean, people talk, are uh, shy to talk about love, but I honestly think we need Love, more love in the world, you know? Um, we just need love and lo that love is included in the work, uh, in the workplace. So these enjoy, enjoy dancing, enjoying and laughing and, and all of these things. Vulnerability, you know, I'm, I'm an authenticity. People have hard time with being vulnerable, but for me, I came to discover my vulnerability is actually my strength. And what I mean is when I own it, and talk about it, I take away the tools or the weapons 
from others to use it against me, right? Because I was like, oh yeah, I have this issue. I'm owning it. It's like I'm stripping myself in front of you rather than not, you know a secret I have and you use it to uh, blackmail me emotionally or whatever it is, right? Like, you know, so vulnerability is a strength because you're owning your shit, if, if you don't mind me saying that word, you know, you know, you're owning your stuff and like, eh, here it is. I, I know it. I'm working on it. You may not use it against me. Authentically, authentically communicate because I feel like people feel the unauthenticity. I'm actually sh- shocked when people rise to so much um, popularity when they're unauthentic. It's like, wow, what does that say? Not about them, but about all their followers, you know? <laughs> I don't understand. So, I don't, you know, then you have to go like, okay, do I need to go and do what they're doing? Or stay authentic, stay authentic. It pays off. Somehow, some way, it pays off at the end of the day. So these are the values that I came to, to understand. And, you know, I wrote a book about shadows and light. There, these are values not only about good. These are values that also have their shadows. And these are, and I believe in talking about the shadow and addressing the shadow and not pretending I'm all good. Actually being honest and saying, look, I am both the good and the bad. And I'm trying to work on both of them and I'm trying to address both of them and, 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 and all of that, you know, so when I, when I love people, whoever the people are, colleagues, friends, lovers, doesn't matter. I can only love them when I see their shadows. Cause if I don't see their shadows, something is being hidden, right? If I see a shadow and, you know, a lot of people's like, well, but this person is like this and this, I was like, yeah, but their shadow is clear. I still love them because I see their shadow. It's very clear. Whatever it is, I love you, right? There's no such a thing as a perfect person. So I just dropped a whole bunch of concepts on you. These are concepts that I, they're always present in my mind and in my heart as I run my life. So for our final question, we ask every guest this. If you were to speak as the divine mother, the force of the divine, the feminine aspect of the divine, a message to our audience, what would she have you say? Wow, that's a big one. That's a big one. I keep on wanting to go to a dream I had many years ago where I saw a whole group of women, all ropes around their, their belly, their arms, pulling something from earth. And it was all group of women. It wasn't one hero. It was all pulling something from earth. And at one point, something, a huge status statue got like erected out of earth into standing. And it was the feminine mother, like, you know? And so I, I, I don't know why I want to say that. And maybe I say that because it's like, there's not one of us. There's all of us part of this all of us part of defining this moment and part of bringing her up, you know, again. I personally, my essence, I would say love more, love more. Love yourself more, love the others more, love the earth far more than what we're loving right now. Honestly, personally, love the divine in a different way in a different way than we're loving. Just love more. Lead with love. Lead with love. 
Thank you for this poem of an interview, (laughs) for this love note to our audience. I feel so loved being in your presence, and I feel so much love, and I have great admiration for you and for the work and for your love, for your love. I aspire to love as much as you do. I you already are you already are there is no love doesn't have an action it just is and you are and so it is is. wonderful will you share um for women who are inspired to get involved in your different organizations i'm going to put all the links in the show notes but maybe if there's if there's a way for women to get involved how they might want to do that well, for Women for Women International, if you want to help a woman survivor of war, you can easily go to the organization womenforwomen.org and you know, you'll see all the different conflict areas that Women for Women is working on and help either an individual woman connect with an individual woman or a group of women there. For Daughters for Earth, you can do the same. Just go to daughtersforearth.org and be part of Either be part of the fund that will distribute it to women all over the world or learn about who they are. Or frankly, if you are part of a circle and want to get tools on how to mobilize yourself, your community to like, okay, let's get the daughterhood going and learn the basic knowledge about how you can be part of the change in your life and in your community and among your friends. Just add your mailing. Just add, give us your mail, your address, and we would love to share with you what we have developed or what we are developing as well. Yes. So when we send out the email, I'm going to include the link for women to get involved in Daughters for Earth and the packet and everything that they need, so that it's good to go. So if you're that would be fabulous. This, yeah, and you're not on the Global Sisterhood mailing list. We will send it out too. So. Fabulous. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you. Thank you to you and to all the sisters who are listening all over the world. Thank you so, so much. Keep going. And, you know, community is not necessarily sometimes we feel lonely in our own physical community. Community is people like-minded, like-hearted people who you may not know, but you are reading their words or listening now, just know that they exist somewhere else. So here's to the sisters community. Thank you. to the sisters. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way. If you want to go deeper with the work of Global Sisterhood, you can go ahead and check us out on globalsisterhood.org. There we have a community of women all over the world who are waking up to their spiritual gifts, to their power, to their femininity, and really exploring and studying how we can build a better world together. We have a new offering that's coming out on January 17th called Spiritually Guided. 
and we have two teachers from the Amazon rainforest who will be teaching about mediumship, spiritual guides, the Orishas, and opening our channels to the divine, to source energy, so we can be clear, coherent channels as we face this transformative time on earth. And so to find out more about Spiritually Guided, go ahead and head to our website, globalsisterhood.org. You can also check us out on Instagram at The Global Sisterhood, and you'll find this course in the link in bio. It starts on January 17th, and so you won't want to miss this. But thank you so much, sister, for tuning in. It is such an honor to be in this network with you, and we hope to talk to you soon.